and we are live with our 203rd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode number 203. Uh, we are excited to be here. We're excited to have Shlomi on the podcast with us today, and we'll get into his background and all things, uh, you know, GitHub, whatever else, right? Like, uh, yeah, momentarily. Anyway, um, as far as announcements go, KernelCon training is still available. Let me drop that link in there. We do have a couple of seats left. This is one of the great opportunities to get practical secure code review under your belt um, for a, you know, a decent cost at a great conference and support KernelCon at the same time. Uh, so come along if you can, uh, and yeah, we'll hope to see some of you there. Otherwise, um, as far as news goes, there was a response to the letter, the OWASP letter that we discussed um, last episode or the episode before. Um, I don't know if we're going to get into that too much today, but jump into Slack. There's been some discussion on it already um, among listeners, and there's some interesting takes there as far as what's going to happen. And some of the board members, like one of them has decided that he can't change OWASP, so he's going to resign and do some other things, right? Um, so there's, I, I mean, there's activity, so it'll be interesting to see what actually happens. Uh, the response from OWASP and also from this board member that, you know, has decided to go another route. Um, besides that, uh, I personally, I will be in Northern Virginia in Ken's neck of the woods. Uh, you know, this week on Thursday night, I'm speaking at OWASP, but Ken will sadly not be there, but I will have t-shirts and swag to give out. If you happen to be in, um, in the Northern Virginia area, I know this is the first time they've had an in-person meeting in three years. So it'll be good to see everyone. Um, Ken, I think that's everything. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before we do that? I didn't realize Shlomi? you're the first, I didn't realize you're the first, uh, speaker back for, for the in-person stuff. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I said, I said yeah. I wouldn't go unless it was in person. Let's just, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> I'm tired of the, the, the online. You're tired of the virtual. Outside. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, I'll be in Florida competing. Uh, so sorry. I, we just didn't. Yeah. Anyways, we, we just didn't just, coordinate it. Yes. We didn't coordinate it. Back to Shlomi. All right. Yes. So I got to tell everybody the funny way that you and I even started talking, even though we both worked at GitHub. Uh, so yeah, Cole actually uh, like kind of connected us. Uh, Cole, an avid um, participant, uh, listener, friend of the podcast, right? Uh, so anyways, so you and I got to talking. Uh, and guys... Shlomi's got like so, so much experience, um, worked in all kinds of different parts of AppSec. Um, every time we talk, it's like hard for me to stop having the conversation with you and to actually cut it off. It's, uh, I, anyways, I, I, I think you're uh, one of my favorite people to talk to about AppSec stuff for real. So I'm excited that you're on. I know you're, we're, we're going to get into your background we're going to talk about all the things you've done. I know you've been in the at the technical side of the house, the leadership side of the house, the uh, sales side of the house, uh, business development, whatever you want to call it. Um, you've done kind of a little bit of everything in, in, in this, and you've worked with a bunch of the ma major uh, players in the field to include places like Fortify and GitHub. 
So, uh, yeah, anyways, excited that you're on. Thank you for joining us all the way from Australia at this early hour where you're at. I'm, I'm really, really excited, guys. And, uh, yeah, so so lucky to actually be on this show. And, uh, again, kudos to, to Cole, who is doing an amazing job with, with people basically trying to kind of increase their AppSec and is, is now in another um, another event. And he introduced us, and I'm like, Wait a second. What are you talking about? <laughs> Ken, yeah. really? Like, and, and we're working together. I didn't even know about it. So I'm so glad that that we got connected because, um, just like you said, every single discussion is really interesting. It's really talking about kind of like the main challenges uh, in, in the industry and kind of what can be done to to help. And you can't solve everything, but I think some of it can can definitely uh, be done. Yeah, and and yeah. Um, so go ahead. No, that's my, that's one of my favorite things about talking to you is like, is like, uh, just the, the, the honesty and like a lot of people kind of, you know, they put, especially when there's a business development swing to things, they'll kind of like put like maybe a little bit of a, a twist on things or something like that, uh, or fluff things up to be something they're not or whatever, but you're pretty realistic and, and pretty, uh, uh, yeah, you're 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 legit blunt and upfront about stuff, and I love that. So there's a little bit of background Thank noise, you. by the way, on your end of things. Um, not sure. I uh, wanted to let you know. Be, could be. I might. Uh, I'll try. I'll try and uh, move a little bit, <laughs> maybe to eliminate it. Oh no! No worries. No worries. Um, I just want to let you know because uh, you know. I think there's there's a bit of building. There's a bit of building on the outside, so that, that might make a bit of noise. Wrong day <laughs> to do a podcast. Ah, no, hey. it's fine. Yeah, yeah, we run into it all the time. You know, we, we we've streamed off of iPhones before, so yeah, we we know how it goes, right? <laughs> so, yeah, Shlomi, you know, tell tell me a little bit about what you've been doing the last uh, the last couple of years, like what your position is there at GitHub. Um, I know you've been in the industry for a number of years. Um, like, you know, I'm coming into this, you know, fairly new. Ken's pretty excited and, you know, we're always excited to have new people on. So, you know, just yeah, tell the viewers what your background is and, you know, how you got into AppSec. Yeah. So, um, so basically I, I started uh, kind of 2009, really. I got into, into AppSec where um, prior to that, I was with a company called Mercury and we did a lot of software testing. And for about six or seven years, I was helping customers increase, I guess, the quality of their software and do software testing, you know, unit testing and then functional testing, performance testing, nothing to do with security. Um, and what, what dawned on me for a very long time is like no one ever asked me about security testing. Um, and then at some point in time, a company, a small company from Silicon Valley called Fortify reached out and looked to open up their um, their offices here in, in Sydney uh, to look after APAC. And so I started basically working there. Um, and it was a whole new world to me. Like it was, it was almost like <clears throat> it was meant to be because m my background, I started with security, but never really in applications. And to me, AppSec was really kind of the intersection of security and software development, which were two things that I kind of really enjoyed. And so for me, it was great. Um, and with all the enthusiasm, I went and started talking to customers. And then I realized no one actually does it <laughs> back in 2009, at least here in this, this region. Um, yeah. It was very, very, uh, I guess, rare to find customers that were actually having 
this process in place. And so from uh, coming and thinking that I'm going to be selling a lot of this software security stuff, and it was top right-hand corner um, in the Gartner quadrant, and I thought, surely everyone has to use this thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it landed on me kind of like a ton of bricks that, that a lot of people just really didn't care at that point in time. And, um, and then I stayed for about seven or eight years, and, and my job turned from like selling to really evangelizing why you should do, why you should think about application security. And it was very, um, it was very frustrating to see kind of like how some in other parts of the world, uh, some companies were a lot more advanced. They, they were kind of figuring out what needs to be done. Uh, where here it wasn't. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, I left Fortify and HP for about, at about 2016. Um, after a very long time, kind of thinking, I'm never going back to AppSec. This is like way too hard. You're never going to be able to convince engineers to do security because it's just not not kind of in their path. And uh, and then a friend of mine uh, about two years ago reached out to me to to join GitHub uh, in the same exact space uh, to to do application security. And initially, I was like, Nah, no way. Like I'm I'm doing DLP, I'm doing network segmentation, like all the stuff that is really easy to sell. Why would I go back to AppSec? <laughs> Um, uh, but I really believe that that if there's probably one one company, not not the only, but one company that can actually make a difference is the companies that have a good rapport with the engineers that can actually understand the engineers and, and bring security into their process, not the other way around, not to jam it all of a sudden, kind of at the end of the process. And so I think I think that's kind of where where I'm at. And so for the last few years, I've been uh, trying to evangelize security within GitHub um, okay. for for our customers uh, in APAC and, and work with engin- mainly engineering teams, funnily enough, not security teams, on why and how they should actually build, you know, security processes and tools into their, into their day-to-day activities. That's a, I mean, that's a good intersection or that's a good place to be, right? Like, I, I mean, so... You know, my last five, well, you know, I don't know uh, how many years now has been on the consulting side, right? Um, probably almost 10 at this point. Um, but that's uh, that, that's where I always see the issue is like we come into a business and I'm like, okay, who's asking for software security, right? Is it is it the developers or is it compliance and the security team that's under the IT, you know, or networking space or somewhere else? And it's always disheartening to me as a consultant or an outsider when it's like, oh, this is only compliance driven or, oh, we had a customer that came in and we have never done a, you know, a code review or a a pen test or whatever, like whatever they're asking for. And it's not the developers themselves. And so like the relationship just isn't there. Right. That's where I, I love to see at least you speaking to developers directly. Have you like, how has the success been from the, like GitHub perspective, as opposed to what you dealt with uh, during the Fortify day, Fortify days. I, th- I think the, the main difference is at Fortify, I was speaking only to the AppSec team, like almost entirely exclusively to the AppSec team. And it was coming from a really, as you mentioned, kind of complete compliance. Like we have to, we've either had a breach 
or we had some sort of a compliance issue where you know we had an auditor or maybe one of our customers that we're trying to ship software to told us like you know you guys haven't really passed any pen tests so what can you do to prove to me that you're doing the right things and it was really coming kind of at the last minute okay how are we going to scan the code and it was driven by the security team um, and today I'm seeing a lot more engineering teams thinking about it from a point of view of like, okay, it might not be our top priority because it's still our top priority is to build the best applications we can, ship them on time and on budget. However, um, we don't want to get to the last minute and uh, end do it and basically get, uh, get trapped. And um, what I'm seeing is, and, and by the way, this is I think across the board in the security industry, over, think about it. Over the last 10 years, and, and I have probably a lot to account for on this, but every security vendor comes in with their tools that comes up with a ton of like red alerts and flashing lights, and we train people to kind of chase almost a bouncy ball, and there's a million of them as well. And so that, that's really distracting for a lot of teams. Whether you're talking AppSec or DLP or network security, we love flashlights, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> that doesn't actually solve the problem. It just makes a lot of distractions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think engineers, what I've seen, and, and I read um, a blog post from Mark Curfee actually pretty recently about if, if you look at kind of like whether engineers really want to do it or not, and I think he's spot on. Ultimately, when I talk to engineers, a lot of them kind of don't put it as a, as a priority, but they will do it if it's easy if there's no friction, and uh, and even and even better, if it actually helps them solve another problem, and he actually put an example around the Pendabot, and how initially it was there to help people kind of solve dependency help, and then kind of the security was a secondary, and and that that's a great way to kind of introduce security. So I think that's that's part of the problem that we have a little bit in the industry is that again we're talking about the building security in. But we still kind of expect to bring in some magic dust at the last minute and, and hope that that's going to solve everything. And if that's not the case. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and this is, I don't know, I, like you're, you're definitely speaking my language, right? Like, and Ken uh -huh. knows this, I, you know, the, the whole like oh, yeah. crocs and socks of application security <laughs> and of security in general, right? Is we have these... Uh, I'm with you on the dashboards. We like the blinky lights, especially as a tool vendor. And I understand that that's like, this is how we provide value, right? Is we, we show you when there's all these different problems and the more problems that I can stuff onto this dashboard, it's the more value that I, I am representing with my tool uh, when it really comes down to, okay, you know, if we're adding these all as false positives, if they're not like uh, super high confidence, then all we're doing is distracting the developers from what their day job is. And the tool actually becomes a burden. Um, and we, I, I mean, I don't know the number of times we've seen that, right? Like even in the, you know, you know, forgive me, but even in the Fortify days there early, like as Ken and I met, that was one of the issues that we had <laughs> pretty significantly. Yeah. Right. And we've talked about this a lot as we met, on a Fortify project we did. Where, where they were just throwing a static analyzer at a whole bunch of code. And all we did was false positive reduction for months, right? That was it. Yeah. So, yeah. 
It was an but awful, awful experience, <laughs> but it was a good learning experience. <laughs> it was a good learning experience for us. Yes, at the very for least. Right? But it wasn't the tool. But here's, here's the thing: it's not even just the tool. It. Yeah, it's not, it's not even just the tool. Like to think about, like the security. Like initially, at least back then, like the the approach was like the security team. If they made an investment in a tool like this and a capability, they had to also justify what they're doing. And one of the ways, a lot of times, like the early days, was oh, great, we look how many vulnerabilities we pulled out of 1,001 or 2,000, and then we managed to kind of like, you know, we, we have to address it. So it's kind of almost justifying their job. And today I think it's different. Uh, today a lot of the a lot of people that I talk to are, are kind of, you know, less is more, basically. Give me kind of like only the stuff that we really need to address. And, yeah, it's less about justifying my job and really working kind of with engineers to, to help solve this problem. Yeah, man. So we, I, I want to ask this question because, like, we're on the, we're on the, we're, at, we're at the right spot for it. I mean, uh, you mentioned that you, you, you know, several times that you were early days with you know selling Fortify or excuse me, yeah, Fortify, and uh, that AppSec wasn't like AppSec tooling or security tooling, software security in general wasn't as much of a thing, right? Uh, we've mentioned that on the podcast and said, you know, yeah, there were a dark, there was a dark time when people didn't even know about software security and we had to do so much evangelism to even under, get people to understand that AppSec was a thing, right? But walk me through that a little bit. Like when you were first starting out trying to sell this tool, when you went in, was it like heavy cynicism or skepticism or were they just like, why would I even, who, like, who were you trying to sell to? What were the reactions? Were people like, this seems like a lot of money just for something? I mean, what, like, the good, the bad, the ugly. I'd love to hear it all. Like, what was it like in those early dark days? I, I had some pretty, pretty interesting and funny experiences. So, um, what I learned really quickly is that uh, at least, at least in Australia, um, outside of the really large banks who had a lot of money and they weren't really doing it, I think you were talking to customers and they just like they, they were stare at you as if as if you just landed from mass and then they don't really understand what you're talking about um and uh we tried all kinds of stuff so i guess as an early salesperson kind of first on the ground you're trying to figure out really what works but like who are your best audience like what's your ideal client profile that you can talk to that will care about this problem that you're trying to to talk about um and uh, I think Fortify, one thing that, that I'm kind of grateful, I think we've seen a lot of that information kind of in the US. So I had a lot of kind of that insight um, to start with. But when I started talking to customers, first, I guess we, we talked to the IT security team, you know, all the, the guys that do firewalls and networks and all this kind of stuff. And they, they couldn't care about it at all, zero. Um, then we talked to the engineering team and they're like, yeah, it, look, it sounds like a great idea. But we're struggling even to get the functionality right. <laughs> so thanks, but no thanks. Um, and then and then at some point in time, uh, there, were, there were customers that, that had um, either a breach, again, or some sort of a compliance event. And then they had to, uh, um, to basically appoint someone in security to deal only with application security. Like they figured out, they had the vision that this is going to be a problem and they need to solve it. But he didn't know how to solve it. Um, they also didn't know, I think one of the biggest challenges was they didn't know how to communicate how big that problem is so that they can build a business case to get more people in. Um, I think that that 
was, in my opinion, still is a challenge. A lot of customers that I talk to often really trying to or struggling to figure out how do they create a business case to, no, not for the tools only, but for like, we need a capability. Like, do we know, how do we know that we need six people versus 10 people or three? Like, how do we justify kind of our existence in this organization? Like, why, why do we need us? And so I think back then it was really, really hard. And uh, a lot of times it was really run a scan, show that kind of you have one project that has some issues, validate them and fight off a lot of people that were skeptical around false positives. And yes, there were quite a lot of false positives, no doubt. Um, but between those, you would find some pretty critical stuff that needed to, yep. to be fixed. Um, and then expand to other teams and show that basically it's not just one team, it's actually across the board. It's a more systemic issue within, within the company. Um, and then you needed to show kind of like, okay, well, if we did it early, would it actually help or would it uh, detract? And that that was a lot harder to to prove. But yeah, those were the first days. One funny thing, so this is kind of I had based, one customer. It was very metrics based, and and remember that the first, at least the first customers that I dealt with, were the banks, and for them everything is metrics. Like you need to basically show how a dollar that you invest is going to either turn into two dollars or it's going to you know help you avoid. $2 or $3 of risk, some, something along that line. And so very metric driven, not really, oh yeah, we should do it for the right reason. <laughs> um, so so I think that that is it. I did have a customer, that's a funny story. Well, not so funny for the customer, but um, one customer that basically asked me to come in and again, they're struggling. They know, they kind of had the feeling that their code wasn't really great. Um, and they brought us in and we kind of did a code scan as a proof of concept. Um, and through the code scan, we're finding like uh, thousands of issues in, in a relatively small code base. And I'm thinking, you know what, I'm talking to my system engineer that this must be like false positives. Like, let's go through it. And like every single one, SQL injection, cross-site scripting, it's like really early days. It's to like a point so many where, are almost like, oh, maybe it's broken kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, something must be wrong here. And then we basically managed to validate every, not every single one, but quite a lot of those. And then the person that brought us in was the VP of development. And uh, we didn't get to complete the POC. He said to us, yeah, thanks. It's great uh, findings. Uh, see you later. And then what we found out after the fact is that the CIO basically decided to cancel the entire engineering team and move it somewhere else. So that, that didn't end up well um, because your, they got to a point where tool, like, you couldn't fix the code. Like the needle yeah. on the haystack or something? Haystack, yeah. The, the yeah. needle that broke the camel's back, right? Like there was or, the yeah, final, yeah, yeah, final sorry, straw, yeah, just, right? Final straw. But that was yeah, like the, the right yeah. analogy is like you have, a, you have a needle in a haystack and then like the whole haystack goes on fire completely. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. It's like, yeah, let's get rid of the whole thing. Completely. And well, this is, analogy, uh, the haystack is just SQL injection everywhere. Injection. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's so. So I'm guessing the engineering team already had like other issues. And then this happens and it's like, yeah, they're just we're moving on. It sounds like. Yeah, there, uh, there, there were a whole lot of issues. So let's just say security, I don't think was their biggest issue <laughs> at that point in time. There were there were other much more critical issues. Uh, but that, Did the that engineers the that wrote the tool go with you? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. 
Um, Meet meaning, sorry, the sorry. engineers that that support the tool. Uh, there's a little bit of lag because uh, obviously distance and everything. So I apologize if I'm interrupting. It's it's the lag. It's hard to know. Um, but what I'm asking is like, did, when you would go and do demos with people, did you did you have like a software engineer that worked on the product with you, kind of thing, or was it just yeah. solely you kind of out there and then your support was remote, or how did that work? I, I'm just curious. Yeah, no, we we had we had some uh, some people here, and then we we started getting some partners that that were getting kind of really hands on with this, and they they caught up on the fact that. Um, you know, application security is going to be a thing. Like back then, like I, I went to, again, all the kind of the security partners and no one really did AppSec. So they were focusing on, you know, selling network security devices mm -hmm. and, and appliances. Um, when I talked to them about software security, they looked at me with this, you know, blank <laughs> face, <laughs> not really understanding did you what ever, it is. Did you ever hear the firewall? thing where they're like uh so we've got a firewall so oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we've got yeah we've, got the, yeah we've got a firewall yeah we have it's fine we have the firewall <laughs> and we have uh username and password i'm like oh my oh. god <laughs> <laughs> um and and the stuff like the the type of organizations like it was very initially demotivating because you'd go i had a case where we went to a really large government department like federal government department and um they deal with a lot of PII and, and a lot of payments and everything. And we went in, started talking about it. And um, they basically said, look, great presentation. Um, and I asked them, do you guys want us to come in and do like a little assessment? For, we'll, we'll come in for free. We'll, let's try one or two applications and show you kind of what's the status. And they're like, no, 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 no. No, thanks. It's like, we don't need it. I'm like, okay, why, why, why would you care? Like, this is completely free. And they're like, no, no, no. If you're going to find stuff, we don't have the budget to go and fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, thanks. But yeah, we first, we need to get the budget to fix stuff. And then you can come in and show us kind of like what's broken. I'm like, okay, all right. That's probably not my ideal client profile <laughs> right now. Um, and I'm going to find and talk to people that care about it. And so I think at the end of the day, like towards the end, I started being kind of, instead of trying to convince people to do it, I was uh, I was really skeptical and I was asking them like, look guys, upfront, AppSec is gonna be hard. It's gonna take a lot of, you know, a lot of resources. You're gonna need a lot of support from your executives because it's gonna cost money and it's gonna slow down developers. And if you're not willing to put the hard yards and, and you cannot tell me why it's important to you, that's fine. Here's some resources. Like go and read about them. But uh, I didn't. I didn't spend a lot of time on those. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean that makes a hundred percent. You know, your your ideal scenario is someone who. Now back then, that's going to be pretty tough. But your ideal scenario is someone who's like, man, we've got to. Either you mentioned like people that had breaches, so they know they've got issues, or you know, someone that for whatever one reason compliance. You mentioned compliance for for one reason or another, they want you in there already, and that, and that makes your Whole, yeah. whole, everything you do so much so much easier um well what's that was it like today or sorry go ahead Seth. No, oh no i was just gonna say that was the huge driver here in the in the states right like when, during this that same period for us it was pci 6.6 .6, right like the whole appsec version of pci drove quite a bit of activity either around 
dynamic scanners, right? Like web inspect and app scan, but also static analysis tools. So Fortify, app scan source or ounce, whatever it was back then, right? Um, but that's where we saw quite a bit of pickup. And I remember doing consulting engagements where we were looking at, you know, oh, they purchased Fortify and, but without any support or without any plan on actually installing it or using it and, you know, and then wondering why it wasn't effective six months later because they had just thrown it over the fence at the developers, right? That was the, that was the typical scenario I remember from back then. That, that, was, that was happening very, very often where, where someone in security, like towards kind of like maybe not the super early days, but like in the middle, like when, when it became kind of the de facto for application security testing, at least in this area, um, I'd, I'd just get security teams to say, yeah, we need to buy this thing. And I'm like, I was asking them, okay, okay how are you planning to, to deploy this and, and who's going to own it, et cetera. And, you know, and they're like, don't, don't worry about it. We just bought it. And then we got come it. back yeah. a year later <laughs> and you realize it's still sitting on the shelf. No one's really using it. Like engineers absolutely didn't even hear about it or they heard about it once and then they kind of turned it off. And so they don't really care about it. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was kind of it. And, and today I have to say it's, it's different. It's very rare that I go to customers and I don't have anything. And I think a lot of it is driven from engineers mm-hmm. um, who know they need to do the right things. But again, they're looking for solutions that will not introduce friction at the end. I still see, I still go to customers like to, to large banks or, or large technology companies and, and they do the testing at the end and it frustrates the developers, et cetera. But more often than not, I see at least the developers own some form of tool to help them kind of get almost like early warnings before they get to the security team. And, and a lot of them do care about it. Um, I still think it's not the top priority, but at least they know they need to do it the right way. Yeah. And that, that's a big shift, I think, in, in kind of the mentality. You know, I actually just went to a conference. It's, uh, oh, man. Um, and I might have talked about this on the podcast, Seth. I'm not sure. But I went to Frontrunners JS here in Virginia uh, recently. And one of the talks was about, um, I think the acronym's May or something like that. But it's, it's about, like, code quality, essentially. Like, what makes, not even code quality, software quality. That was what the, was actually clarified in the talk. It's not code quality, software quality. Anyways, um, I was so pleasantly surprised when, like, half the talk was, like, you should definitely, and it wasn't a security person. It was an engineer who was, like, you definitely have to worry about security stuff. That's part of your software quality. And for me to sit there, because I was there doing homework, right? I'm, I'm there because I'm building a thing and, you know, I want to I wanted to understand the, the JS ecosystem better and what the new things are emerging. So I'm there basically as a developer, not even a security person. I'm hearing this and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like to hear engineers touting for half their talk <laughs> that security is important about code quality. It's like or is it an important factor in software quality is like mind-blowing 13 years ago 15 years ago that was nothing that was not a thing that so i agree it, it's i'm seeing that pattern uh shout out to codasaurus is his uh handle who was talking about that but uh like david aronson or something but yeah no to your point i think people do 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 care um so with that in mind you know what are other things that have changed in your time kind of listening to what people need listening to you know how they tackle the the problem of security and you know how does that how does that kind of look you know as, as opposed to 
say, like I said, 10, 12, whatever years ago. Yeah, I think I think recently a lot of people kind of are thinking about uh, what sort of uh, tools can actually reduce friction. Uh, one, one thing that I'm hearing a lot, by the way, is around developer education. Like, how do you actually train and uh, and and you know tell developers how to build it the right way? Because engineers ultimately they all want to do the right thing. Well, not all, but like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, they want to do the right thing if they can. Um, but often we don't tell them how, and so so our approach, like the old approach, was let's put them in a kind of in a classroom when they're on board. Let's put them in a classroom for eight hours and teach them everything about code security, like go through um, computer-based training, like next, 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 and then they go through the whole thing. Boring as hell. They remember nothing out of it <laughs> at the end. Um, that I think that was the original approach, and then. Uh, then there were all kinds of platforms that looked at gamification of it to at least make it more interesting for developers. But um, largely, a lot of them still take the same approach of like, okay, well, we need to get everyone out and then we need to still do, maybe a hackathon is, is actually more interesting. For sure, it's more interesting than going through these whole training. Um, but I think that the industry kind of like, if I look at uh, also my experience before at Proofpoint, which did a lot of user, like, security training and education, um, one of the things that doesn't work is that type of training. And one of the things that do work is when you have training kind of right on time. So just in time training, like I think the industry is missing um, solutions that can really help developers kind of when they code stuff to, to give them kind of a just in time moments of like how you should do security at that point in time. And I think that that is going to make a difference. A lot of customers are asking for those, those kind of those kind of initiatives. Like they don't want, yeah. Let's let's get all the developers through kind of the security training, and that's 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 a compliance tick box because we kind of need to prove that we we told them the right thing. But then, really, if we want to reduce the risk, we need to be able to work with the developers when they write stuff and give them the information that they need on time, and not just send them to massive wikis and. You know, to, to read on their own. I think that that's one thing um, that, my opinion, um, with the introduction of, for example, GitHub Copilot and mm -hmm. tools that can be almost like um, think about it like a personal trainer for an engineer. It it almost allows you to kind of close the gap. Now we're not there yet, but the division that I think is going to happen is you can get your developers through kind of long term training. But then instead of them being on their own, trying to code the right way and trying to do the right thing, but then not really having a lot of AppSec kind of help because there's only one AppSec for about 600 engineers. That, that's kind of what, what I've seen um, in the industry. Um, at least you have something that can actually help you maybe build. Now, I think it's early days, but um, it, it can be pretty promising, I think, long term. Oh, yeah. Copilot, I've been using that like every day, all day long. And man, I got to say the improvements over the last, you know, I'd say, cause I mean, we obviously had early access. So um, anyways, long story short, I'd say, I guess within, I can't remember maybe a year or so uh, that I, that I first started playing with it. Uh, maybe, maybe longer. Um, but anyway, since then, man, the, I was writing, I can't really talk about what I was writing. Um, for obvious reasons, but what I was writing was 
pretty contextual and and really you 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 would need to understand what what I was going for and I could not believe that Copilot actually found it. But to your point, I think you know also in those early days people were calling out that Copilot uh, was giving insecure code examples and I think the way things have kind of shifted is um, that stuff's being reduced from what I'm saying anyways. Um, and man, much cleaner sort of auto uh, predictions. So happy to see that. And you're probably right. I think, cause it, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but it sounds like what you're saying is that something like a co-pilot could, uh, you know, help say, Hey, that's not the right. You probably don't want to do that. Suggest this instead, fix this up um, and then remove security like real time without you really even, it's the state, it's the same flow. You don't have to go, go into a separate flow or have a separate tool. Really. It's the same. It's all one flow. Um, yeah. and you get exactly. A instead, and a little bit of security right there. That that's exactly it. So think about it. Like instead of basically going through the training, then you're on your own, and then someone come at the last minute, the absent team coming in and kind of running a scan. And yes, you can do it earlier, um, but it's still kind of after the fact. Um, instead of that, having someone, aka like copilot, like a pair programmer that can actually tap you on the back and say, "Hey, here's a suggestion that is secure," and we're starting to build some um, some controls in there, like for example, hard-coded passwords. There, there are certain things that Copilot could actually solve. And what that means is that it frees potentially long-term, it's not there yet, but I think it could free up the time for engineers and AppSec team um, to deal with the harder stuff. And then, you know, like Ken, we, we talked about it kind of previously about like your, your time when you were doing AppSec was really focusing on the harder things like authorization or logic issues, those those kind of things. And, and if you can eliminate the basic stuff, like SQL injection, cross-site scripting, all the kind of the stuff that shouldn't really be there and is still fine, then then that allows you to focus on the, the harder stuff. Well, that's, I, I mean, that's an interesting proposition, right? Like using AI, like Copilot to actually know what is secure and what isn't, right? Like I, it would be very good at finding some of those and, I like, and to be completely frank, like my experience with Copilot isn't that advanced at this point, right? Like that's not something that I've tried to ask. It is like, do this in a secure manner or give me security recommendations around that. But I would be really interested to see like uh, some sort of a um, guardrails, like the security guardrails or recommendations or, you know, whatever that is for your organization that codified into uh, recommendations from Copilot or from you know ChatGPT or whatever that AI actually is, right? Um, because it you know it would totally help me, right? Like from a development perspective, as I'm trying to put things together, I know that would be a you know a logical place to do it. Um, but I think to answer that question that did pop up from you know one tall girl seventy eight, right, who's commenting on YouTube, um, that you know she's asking why academic training is why people feel like it's set up better than um, something that integrates within the existing workflow. I think that's more of just a cost proposition and that's how we've always done it. Um, that we just haven't had those tool, those just in time training tools available to us. And it's a lot easier to be like, Oh, go check stack overflow or whatever and see what it says about, you know, cross site scripting. But the, the answers are exactly what you're going to expect out of a socialized response there. What was Synopsis called before? Was it Sig Sigital, right? Sigital was the original name, I think. 
it was uh, it was or a synopsis acquired some, sigil or yes something yeah. like that. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> and, and, it and happened and some others, but yeah. <laughs> oh right, right. It's it's a multi yeah. Well, when Sigital was Sigital, I uh, went out to their office and they were trying to tackle it um, it meaning training in that kind of way. So they had like a an eclipse plugin and they were looking at Java and then if there was a SQL injection, um, something very obvious, you know, something regex based that you could easily say, Hey, that looks very dangerous. They would, uh, have like a little pop-up and then that, like, I think had a link out a brief description and a link out to, to something. I don't know where it ever went. They did a lot of experimental kind of things at Sigital under, uh, John Stevens. So a lot of bleeding edge stuff that never really kind of caught the market by storm, you know, as, as is the case with products. Um, and that was one of them. So there have been attempts. That's at least one that I know of that there there have been, there has been an attempt, but they just don't seem to. It feels like things that are really cool and really advanced uh, tend to get killed off as products um, or it, uh, have th- in the past. It's it's kind of like surfing surfing the waves, right? You, if you're too early <laughs> to the wave, you can sit there for hours and then then basically. You know, not not really get kind of any anywhere, and so I've seen a lot of very very cool technologies basically go to kind of the technology dumpster because they just were maybe too early for their time. Um, if, for example, I think some of those were coming out now, it really solved. It, it maybe it was made by visionaries that kind of saw the problem that was so ingrained in the problem that they could kind of already see kind of the advanced issues that that this industry is going to have uh but they're a bit too early <laughs> to to the time and i think that there were a lot of those um as an example even even at fortify like the, there was a is solution that they killed off really quickly but they were the first one before it was even called is to have a solution that actually you know goes and looks into into the code itself when it's running and see whether it can actually find stuff. And funnily enough, I actually had customers that were willing to pay for it, but then we killed the product because it was just too early. It just didn't have too many customers that were thinking about it. Um, and then and then some really big companies kind of came out of it, like Contrast and Pervody, et cetera, just on the basis of that. But uh, yeah, that's that, you know, that's too early. Maybe those are too early as well because people haven't got to that point where they really need it. Yeah. So I think that's that's one of the things. Well well, you know, I just I happened to be reading the, you know, the where report from the on computer security from nineteen seventy recently, and you'd be amazed at what they came up with back then. Because, you know, as you do, right, going back to all the old like documentation. But it, it's fascinating to actually see the solutions and the recommendations that they came up with, to your point, like before it was uh, even a thought for most of the ind- industry, right? Um, Bro, I saw at the Udvar Hazy Space and Air Museum last, wait, today's Tuesday, yeah, last Friday, um, we were there and they had, in 1985, NASA created an Oculus. They had a virtual reality in 1985. I saw the whole rig, how it was set up. Like, I, yeah, like there's so much stuff that's been built that just never sees the light of day because it's not. And this is a big thing, you know, I mean, and as somebody who's like obviously in the process of building a software product and trying to sell it and all that stuff. But in the building process, it's definitely something that goes through my mind is like you can build the coolest thing in the world. But if you don't uh, if you don't have, you know, good 
a good understanding of the market, someone who can do like you were talking about, Shlomi, like some evangelism, somebody who's a, a good business development partner. You know, you, there's a difference between, in my mind, uh, and by the way, this is one of the things I really like about you and really respect about you is um, there's a difference between somebody who's just like a salesperson and someone who's like actually like a business development or I don't know how you'd say it, but like an actual partner in the the process and actually will tell you like, Hey, it won't. Cause you know, uh, again, one tall, I can barely read this one tall girl. 78 was talking about, you know, issues with vendors where they, they, they like, they kind of, they say all these amazing things that it can do and it does none of that stuff. And it's so easy to run and it's definitely not. And you just a bunch of lies. Right. And, you know, just to get the, the tools sold, you're definitely not that kind of person. And that's one thing I appreciate that. But I think you need that. If you're, if you're building, you know, something, I think you need to have all of these, these factors. You need to have good BD sales people. You need, you need to have like, you know, good, good, uh, good understanding of the market. And, uh, but then I'm sure some of it's just luck, uh, I would imagine. But anyways, that's just me ranting about yeah. what it's like to uh, yeah. build products. So, I, and I and um, I know that like we give like vendors have a bad name when it comes to that, right? Like, um, especially from a sales perspective, um, like I, I do have a tendency to you know look at that through like or they look at their product through rose colored glasses, right? Like, what is the ideal situation for you know Fortify or Copilot or like what you know the 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 products that GitHub has out there, it's not going to be a fit for everyone. Um, and representing it as such is always, it, that's always the problem is they don't necessarily always talk about the downsides, right? Like, Hey, you install fortify and there are going to be false positives, right? Like that is, that's upfront. Everyone in the industry knows that, but somebody that's coming into it new sees all the blinking lights and is like, Oh crap, I have 10,000 things I've got to go fix. And especially from a developer perspective where, hey, this is blocking the build and it's running in the CICD pipeline and it's telling me I have 10,000 items I have to go take care of. All that says to me is my next like six months is just blown, right? Like we just like it's all messaging at some point and we fail at that, right? Like the vendors fail at it. The AppSec team fails at it. The security team fails at it. And the developers get frustrated, right? Um, Yeah. I I don't know where I was going with that outside of it's not always the vendor's fault, right? Completely. No, no, I think, look, I think here's here's the thing. Like um, in, when you look at kind of the the life of a salesperson, when they join a company, it's it's kind of like the if you're familiar with the Gartner hype cycle where where everything kind of goes up first so there's a hype and you're going up and you're like all excited and there's like a whole hype about the technology and it's the same thing with the sales team like when they join in they're kind of drinking from the Kool-Aid from the company and then they go up to kind of the the top and and then they realize that there's you know wait a second, it's not that rosy. And then the risk is that you're going to go at some point in time to this, uh, what is it called? Trough of death, I think, in, uh, in the Gartner cycle. And at that point in time, it's kind of like where technology is, like you, you're so negative, like you're going from overly positive to overly negative about the technology. But if you can figure out what's the middle ground, like where, what are the, the positives of the solution that you're trying to talk to customers? What are the areas where maybe it's not really a great fit, then you can really consult um, your customers in the right way. Yep. And um, 
And uh, as a salesperson, I think you can't really control whether someone is going to buy your product or not. But what you can do is you can control who and what are you going to spend time on. And, uh, and I think that's really important. If you know what's a really good fit and what's a really bad fit, you can make those decisions much better. And I think a lot of people just don't really realize kind of like how important that is uh, to, to be able to know when your product is a really good fit or when it's really bad and be able to walk away from something is really, really difficult for a lot of salespeople. But that is, I think, the key to be able to manage your time uh, much better. Yeah. Is it well, easier for you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, uh, so I was just going to say my introduction to that was that, you know, a CISO that would basically let every vendor in the in the in the area come into his office and sell him tools without any sort of a plan for how he was going to implement anything. Right. That was my, that was my first experience with like Metasploit, right? Like, you know, Hey, the, the CISO walking in and handing us like, here, here's a, here's a license for Metasploit. And we're like, what are we supposed to do with this? Right. Like, you know, I, like it's great, but what is the value that this is providing to us as like, you know, firewall engineers at the time. Right. Like I'm like, great right like uh we can you know yeah anyway so it's, it's interesting listen this is this is going to be so the cure for that is really kind of like if you look at kind of the the economic situation right now i think you're going to find that that problem is going to go away really quickly because mm -hmm. people are going to be one uh, a lot more frugal about what investments they're going to make and they're going to make a lot more justification about why they need extra technology. And the other thing is the last 10 to 12 years have been almost like an arms race from a cybersecurity perspective, not just AppSec, just generally. Let's get as many tools as we can because we, we need to be more armed against the, you know, the attackers. And now what I'm seeing is a lot of organizations sitting on a ton of tools that half of them are not even used and they're not really getting the value out of it. And so I think the focus is going to shift from buy, let's buy more tools to what can we do to kind of get value out of the stuff that we already have uh, as, yeah. as opposed to just add more stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the integration. It's the, okay, we paid for a license for this. Like, how do we actually get that information to developers so it affects what we're, we're doing? Um, I mean, it, it's, yeah. I, like, I always, I, my question to you, right, like, in that space, um, from a testing perspective, like you're coming up through like actual QA testing and unit testing, and then you move into security or you move back to security, what, what have you. Um, like, where do you feel like our deficiencies lie in the security space if you look at it through the lens of QA testing or unit testing? Well, the, the, the main difference to start with is with QA, and and I've had the kind of the opportunity to really do QA for a very long time, um, mm -hmm. which usually is boring, but that that gave me a different perspective. Think about it. Like you have teams that are like big teams, much bigger than than AppSec that that can actually look after this. And the other thing is, if if you missed a bug in QA and you roll the software on the first day, your users are going to come and tell you. <laughs> Where in security, no one's going to tell you until it's either too late, either the auditor will tell you or, or you had a breach. And so I think that's a big difference uh, in kind of in, in perspectives. Um, so in security, really, the onus is on, on the AppSec team to find it, or AppSec and, and pen testing, and you have a much smaller team uh, mm -hmm. and much smaller oh, kind of focus gosh, on it. Yeah. So it's, it, 
yeah, so the odds are stacked against you <laughs> to start with on the security side. Yeah, I I mean honestly, the ratio that you sp- that you spit out there like 1 to 600 is just I I don't know how an appsec person actually covers that amount of code, right? Like it's I mean it makes you wonder what's their role in that situation with when it's 1 in 1 in 600. Are you like you're not okay, you as an appsec person, your value is your your knowledge and understanding of of the space, right? But how is how are you being let, utilized at all for that skill set when it's six hundred potential people that are writing code all day long every day? I mean, I just don't. I, I think you have that to does not compute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, if here's the thing: like, you're not going to be able to ever be in front of every single engineer every single minute of the time. It's just not going to happen. So you have to take, I think, an approach of, I need to be a force multiplier. How do I actually take what I do and um, and package it in a way that I can actually give it this bite size to the engineers and train them? And, and one of the approaches was, okay, well, why don't we get engineers through some sort of a boot camp and make them the security champions? And I think that I've seen that quite often um, happen. Some of them do that better than others. So one of the banks, for example, that I work with, at least in Australia, has a whole boot camp where they bring engineers, like the, the engineering leaders, and they walk them through kind of a two or three day boot camp to, to get them through kind of security. And so you're you're becoming, you have those champions, and then your role is really to come up with the governance, kind of what the policies are, what the governance is, what sort of tool, maybe help with the tooling, help on the kind of the harder stuff and then also do the test the, the harder testing um kind of last minute but then let the engineering teams do most of the kind of the the grunt work uh on this uh easier said than done i think um yeah i'm, I'm kind of curious to see what you guys kind of saw in, in the in the market from from what people that you talk to do well i mean from i can sec- tell you when i worked at living social i can talk i mean there was me and mike mccabe um and that's what we had to solve the the issue and we had similar similar similarly if i can talk it wasn't say 600 but it was you know probably a couple hundred developers um so we were definitely outmatched and for us i mean it was like it was a it was it was quite a process i don't know that we did everything perfectly we did definitely didn't um i think Understanding so uh, assets. Understanding our assets was like, a, in terms of like, where do we actually use AppSec, AppSec skills? We had to first like do uh, all the things you'd expect: asset inventory, interviews with the heads of different departments to see how they're operating, trying to get some tooling in place. Actually, had the same situation that you're talking about when I joined. Some tool decisions were had already been made, so like I had a contract with, um, well, definitely White Hat. And I uh, definitely did not want that contract, but it was kind of forced on me. And the other one was, uh, wow, what was the thing? What was the software? Or maybe it's still around. The What's the software product where you'd like upload it to a web portal and then they would run a scan? Um, uh, Veracode. 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 Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Ver- sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're definitely Veracode. Uh, <laughs> right. So Veracode. But back then, you have to understand. Well, again, I don't even know like how how Veracode's uh, tooling works today. But uh, man, back then that was awful. Both those solutions sucked. So we really didn't have any great tooling. So what ended up happening was 
uh, either we found stuff because uh, we just randomly picked the most the stuff that seemed like the highest risk, um, and that was one approach. Uh, but then most of the time, you know, it was like, frankly, it was like bugs discovered in production by either engineers or people that reported it to us. One time, we even had a third party uh, security. It's very embarrassing, but I'm going to say it on the, the you know whatever. I don't care. This is embarrassing, but what it, it is what it is. Uh, a third party vendor security assessment going on where they wanted to use they wanted a partner so they did like an assessment of our app in production and then they found like some easy trivial seriously crazy bad uh, insecure direct object reference vulnerability um and so stuff basically what i'm trying to say is like when i look back on that time it was great for me on how to like learn how to do things better in the future how to structure teams better what you're looking for in an organization just how to do everything. But honestly, like, man, I probably screwed up so much there and did so, so, and then just being outnumbered as well. So it's like, man, I don't know. Like, I really don't know the answer. Uh, for I, I, think, security I think this is like that, you know, this is, this is the hard thing for AppSec. I'm, I'm thinking like, this is, this is a fight that, that just never ends. Like you, you just have a whole lot of engineers you need to work with. There's, there's a whole lot of code, there's way too much stuff to do kind of in the time of day that you have. And there's no, I think in general in security, there's no winning point. There's no point where you get, we get to, to kind of a finish line and you say, great, we've done it. We, we, we won. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. It's like, basically it's groundhog day every day. And that, I think that yep. the mental element of how do you actually manage kind of to, to do a marathon like this with no finish line, that I think is one of the hardest things for a lot of AppSec teams. And then I've seen some amazing AppSec people basically just get completely burnt out because it's just, man, it's like way too hard. So either they go up the chain or they move off to, to do something else. Uh, but I have not seen people that have spent years and years and years in this job. It is really grueling. Um, I think, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, at least, I mean, at least yeah. GitHub, GitHub Advanced Security is there yes. to help you <laughs> out? It is. It is. Uh, well, that, clear, and now it's going to be Mike. sponsored. By, no. I was going to bring it up. Oh, sorry, Seth. No. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going. I was going to say the tooling is that is the approach that I've seen that's actually been successful, right? Um, and especially in those like in those situations where it's like one or two AppSec guys against the world is because that's what it feels like um, when so much code is being spit at you. There's no other way to actually handle it is just, okay, we're going to start looking at authorization. How do we do that? How do we tool that up? How do we create the unit tests and kick those over to QA or someone else to help us out? Who do we find on the development team that can be a security champion? Those are the ones, those are the programs that I see see as successful, at least as a consultant coming in from the outside. The ones where they, it doesn't work is where it is like, hey, it's just coming from compliance and they know that they have to do application security. So, you know, we contract this firm to come in once a year and do something, but there's not anybody that's actually directing that program or those efforts. And so it's going to be the same thing year after year. And honestly, those those clients from my perspective aren't as fun to work with because we find the same things in the app year after year right uh it's not it doesn't actually change they don't move the needle and at, like it's hard to get excited to oh yeah we're you're we're, we're gonna see the same issue you fixed it in you know in page one but it's still an issue in pages two through ten right 
but right like um so, ce celebrate yeah. the small wins i think i saw yes. someone on the on the chat that said that 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 is so important and we keep on forgetting to do that i think in general kind of in, in life and i think you have to do that to keep going yeah. otherwise again there's, there's no end there's no finish yeah line. well and remain it is right remain yeah. grateful like you know be excited that you get to actually look at code and you know find these things because it's a big puzzle right and it can be fun even when you find something that is or maybe especially when you find something that is that edge case and is fairly severe because then you can come on the podcast and talk about it <laughs> there you go um <laughs> That's but i do want to be yeah exactly i do want to be cognizant of time i know ken you've got a you know fairly hard stop and shlomi yeah, we are sorry. so appreciative of you being here I see what you're saying. We're going to have to have you back on. We'll schedule yes. another time, maybe a month or two out, if you're amenable to that, um, to continue the to. discussion. Because there are other questions that have popped up, and it's been a great discussion. Um, but before, before we call that, right, uh, where can people find you? Like, um, or how can they interact with you? Are you going to be in any conferences? Or what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, good question. Uh, either on LinkedIn or I'm on the Slack channel in Absolute AppSec. Um, you can reach me on GitHub. My handle is Sentry01. Maybe at another time I can explain how I got to that, but Sentry01 at GitHub.com. Uh, and uh, we are doing um, next week, actually, GitHub Galaxy. And uh, I have a session specifically where people can actually come in, they can talk about, they can actually come on the show. It's almost like almost like this, but open to all the crowd. And so we're going to talk about specific areas in AppSec, and people can come in and talk about those areas. So uh, feel free to to join. I think it's a it's a free event and it's online. So and it runs at different time zones as well. So uh, feel free to join. Great. Yeah, that's a, a that's a good that's good advice. Sorry, Ken. Go ahead. No, I mean, if, yeah, yeah. If there's any links you want us to post uh, afterwards, just let us know. We'll put it in the description so people can go and click on those links and get signed up and yeah, get involved. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, Shlomi, you are genuinely still, uh, or still, you, you're you're always one of those people that I uh, that I just love to talk to. Um, uh, so thank you for coming on the podcast uh, again, man. If if I if I ever wanted someone to help me with software and getting it in my environment or just more generally giving me some good advice, you'd be a, definitely a number one person I'd, I'd go to. So, uh, man, thanks for joining, dude. Like, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm blushing now, but thanks guys. It's been a real pleasure. I'd love to, yeah. to join again. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, join the Slack channel if you want to continue the conversation. Um, but otherwise, we'll see everybody next week. We'll be back uh, to our regular scheduled program, right? Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll catch everybody online. Thank you. Thank you.